hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the Stupid Answer Show! Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 347 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult cancer survivor, broadcasting right now from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan, the Stupid Cancer Show. It's a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest support network for young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Block Talk Radio. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On this episode, we're going to be speaking with Billy Paymaster, the Chief Operating Officer and Director of Marketing and Communications for Hope for Young Adults with Cancer out of St. Louis. And joining him will be this year's Stupid Cancer Get Busy Living Award winner, Katie Lundy. Special survivor spotlight on um, Steve Delgado, a male can breast cancer survivor, runs a group called Protect the Pecs. He's the director and founder. And with that... Here we go, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera. Hey guys. Hello. How's it going? What is up? We are rapidly approaching the 350th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. That is three episodes away. We'll have to get a keg or something. Yeah. Remember we did like the 100th show or the 200th show? We did something and there was a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hit 400 this year. That's that's pretty impressive. It's insane. Well done. Yeah. Um, How are you both? Busy. Yeah. Never lots, ends, does it? Lots of things happening. You know, Liz sent me, there's a great, uh, this is an amazing guy. He runs a small nonprofit and um, around disparity in uh, in the uh, getting more uh, diversity into nonprofits for at the leadership level, at the employee level. And he runs a, a blog called Nonprofit with Balls. And I don't know him. I don't know if he knows me. He speaks the way that I feel like I kind of used to speak when you could be really dissident and angry and hostile at the people who don't write your checks yet. And it's genius. Absolute nonprofit with balls. I think you just Google that. That's what the he uses the um, Breaking Bad. 
Yeah, the Breaking Bad uh, design scheme for his website. But he, 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 you know, truth to power is like an overused thing to say, but he really screams hypocrisy in terms of what we deal with every day in the nonprofit sector. He talked today in his blog about the, the magic word sustainability and how does a nonprofit become sustainable and can a nonprofit ever truly be sustainable in the wake of what we've seen with all these nonprofits that come and go and rise and fall. Is there anything to that point, which is his, the gist of what he discussed in his blog post was all about how do you address that question when you apply for grants? The groups that say, how do you plan to stay sustainable once the funding that we give you runs out? And the answer is we will never bother you again. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not the real answer you're supposed to give them. So what he did was he created the answer as if he was responding to them in different countries or scenarios or languages, like the Canadian version, the Seattle version. It was really funny. So kudos to him. Nonprofit with balls. I highly recommend taking read, especially if you work in the nonprofit sector. There's been some pretty fun ones, too, like. What is the drink for the position for the position that you work in? Yes, exactly. He also does another one, which is really great about selecting board members, holding board members accountable, committees. It, it really is. He says a lot of the things that I don't think I could get away with saying anymore, which is kind of a pro and a con, I guess. But kudos to him. I want to get him on the show. We got to get him on the show just to it, I'll see it's, what I can it's do. Great perspective. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so the, the internet apparently broke because I went on vacation which has kind of happened before, but never to the extent that I actually didn't open my laptop from Wednesday night till Monday morning. Which is rather impressive for you. I mean, I have the iPhone now, so I saw the emails that were coming in, and I responded if anything looked like crisis-related. But, you know, this is our downtime. May is a nice time post-CancerCon. And and I was actually able to enjoy my vacation to the extent of which my wife sent me a (laughs) Facebook message I'm really glad you got to unplug this time. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's good. So when you know she says it, it actually happened. It's true. So every year we make a pilgrimage to Delray Beach in Florida with my wife, my mother-in-law, and my kids. And we stay at the hotel uh, by the beach. And we have the pool on the beach. And we went to this um, kind of like an African drive through safari that they have near the Everglades. Ooh. You drive really west, like halfway across Florida. And it, it literally is Jurassic Park with not... Not with dinosaurs, but rhinoceroses and giraffes and um, wildebeests and and hippopotami, whatever the plural. But the kids were blown away. Like, you're five years old in a car looking at a window at something with an eyeball the size of you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's rather impressive. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And um, called the, 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 the lion safari, but actual lions with these barbed, it was like the closest of Jurassic Park. That I've ever seen. Big giant cages with steel fences and razors on the tops of the fences to keep the animals from jumping. It was at least there's a security system. There's some there. kind of some kind of yeah. And and um, uh, what's his face? Newman from um, Seinfeld was not the security manager. Thankfully. Oh, good, because then yeah. you'd be in trouble. <laughs> but we had a great time, and yeah, they loved the water. They loved to swim. It was great to get away, to just to just get away. So thank you both for holding down the fort. Because <laughs> Sean's on vacation now too in Thailand. Yes, it yes. was it was rather quiet on Friday yeah. in these parts. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Kenny, what are you working on these days? 
besides relaxing and not relaxing? Um, You're going to Hawaii. I'm going to Hawaii. Yay. Yeah, I'm going to Hawaii to speak uh, at their first ever journey together. Well, not the first ever event, but the first focus on young adult cancer. So that's exciting. Uh, and that'll be on June 11th. Yeah. In Honolulu. What's that, like 12 hours? Uh, the flight? Yeah. It is, yeah, it's like 10 direct and 12 if you stop. Crazy. <clears throat> yep. Well, what? Never mind. <laughs> we got two quick things in the news here. They've been, um, they've, I wouldn't say viral, but they've gotten a lot of news and a lot of press. Uh, we came out in partnership with a group that was launching something called the Cancer Sutra. I think we met, mentioned it uh, last week or the week before. Uh, it was picked up in BuzzFeed, in Slate, on Mashable, on CNN. Uh, it is basically a public awareness campaign for early detection through sexual positions because if you're going to have sex with your partner, it's an opportunity to be aware of things that could be part of your body that don't belong there without compromising how good that sex could possibly be. And they want to make sure your relationship is strong and safe and wonderful. But I can't tell you how many women have come on the show that said that they discovered the lump in their breast during sex with their partner. Um, and it clearly happens. So we want to be, you know, equal opportunity here to let as many people aware that they can discover things early. And if you're a young adult, getting something early is actually quite anomalous and it's kind of cool because it means you'll probably do better. So uh, it's the least we could do is to let you know about the Cancer Sutra. You can learn more at CancerSutra, was it .org or .net or .com? Just search for Cancer Sutra. Uh, and we also are selling the posters in our store, very limited edition prints of uh, the great artwork done that is featured in the book. Right, so you can get your very own Cancer Sutra posters. And the other thing that went pretty pretty um, viral this week um, our friend Emily McDowell, a uh, young adult survivor, um, came up with a series of these sort of fake, but now they're real, uh, empathy postcards or empathy Hallmark greeting cards. Yeah, they're greeting cards. They're yeah. pretty awesome. So I wanted to read some of them to you on the air. Uh, the website is uh, info.emilymcdowell.com, and her blog post is called Empathy Cards for Serious Illness. And it's all the stuff that we're thinking in our heads but can't say. So here's a card. So like my friend giving this to me in the hospital. I'm so sorry you're sick. I want you to know that I will never try to sell you on some random treatment I read about on the internet. One or one more chemo down. Let's celebrate with whatever doesn't taste disgusting. I'm really sorry I haven't been in touch. I just don't know what to say to you. Please let me be the first to punch the next person who tells you everything happens for a reason. And finally, when life gives you lemons, I won't tell you a story about my cousin's friend who died from lemons. That's my particular favorite one. <laughs> Emily McDowell. All right, again, info.emilymcdowell.com. Empathy cards for serious illness. And the artwork on them is fantastic. The illustrations well. are fantastic. They look like they're legitimate. You know, you could buy them in the store. You can, actually. Oh, really? She, yeah, she sells other... Uh, she branched, the... she branched out her line. The empathy cards aren't in the stores, but I was actually in Williamsburg shopping yesterday, and she had some other cards that were pretty great that were available and for purchase. Well, and that's even better. Yeah. We're going to get these in stores. How great would that be? Put these in, in the hospitals and in the, in the gift shops. <laughs> be pretty sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's start the show. In our Survivor Spotlight segment on this broadcast of the Stupid Cancer Show, we welcome Steve Delgado. He's a two-year survivor of male breast cancer. He's the director and founder of Protect the Pecs, Male Breast Cancer Awareness Foundation. 
an oft unspoken issue, male breast cancer. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Steve Delgado. Steve. Hi. Welcome aboard, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have to admit, we've been a little lapse in, in having this specific issue raised on the show. It's been probably three years since we've done anything on male breast cancer, although we have done it, and it does come up when we do regular breast cancer, because the women now are aware that men get cancer too, breast cancer as well. So they're mentioning it, but rarely do we get a guy on the show no, it's, who's it's, been through it's, it. It's, it, it is, it, it's rare. It, it really is. And, and you know, they say uh, 2,300 men every year are diagnosed with it, and about 450 will die. Uh, but it is there. The numbers are increasing, and more men in their 30s and 40s are, are getting the cancer, and we don't know why. Right. So it's it's probably what we're eating, what we're drinking, what we're breathing, things we have no control yeah. over. Exactly. You know, the hormones in the food, environmental, you know, the toxins in the water supply, things like that. I think more research needs to be done, more funding needs to be diverted into that, figure out why are men getting you know, the breast cancer, you know, at an earlier age and then what the normal age is around 60 to 70 years old. Right, and we're seeing very similar trends in women where there's breast cancer now in, in like, tweens, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old yeah. girls are getting breast cancer, and they don't have breasts yet. So it's 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 the same concept. Right. So and let, then, you know, we have to change. We have to change the way society views breast cancer, uh, you know, change the way, you know, insurance companies, you know, for men who get breast cancer, make sure they get the right coverage, you know, from treatment to research to uh, awareness events, you know, I, you know, we're, we're like a footnote. We're like, you know, you know, an afterthought, you know, and that needs to change. And that's why, you know, that's why I want to go. I want to, you know, help change people's perception about male breast cancer. So let's drill down on that. Let's get to your story here. So two years ago, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. What was going on in your life the year prior and what led up to this date? You know, a, a year before that, I, I was working as a, a sales rep for an IT company. I was feeling good. I was working out a lot. Uh, you know, exercise was important. Two or three times a week, I was in the gym. And, uh, and I, I guess it was April 2012. It was just a normal day. I got up, taking a shower, did my routine. And that's when I discovered this lump in my left tech area. And, I, and at the time, you know, I said, oh, it's, it's, it's by a bruise. I was helping a friend move, and I got, I, I just got a bump, you know, no big deal. But it still worried me, so I, I went to the doctor. And, uh, and that's when he sent me on my journey to the breast center in town. He said, look, you got you to gotta go there, and, and they're going to have to check you out. And, uh, and that's what happened. I went to the breast center, wellness center for women, and uh, I got a mammogram, and I was just wild because, you know, Right. Uh, you know, and who would think? I was. I was like, what's what's going on? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so did did the whole mammogram thing and, and did the biopsy. You know, uh, and, and it's all it's, it's negative. Uh, it's benign. You're good to go. And in six months, you, you should you should disappear. Well, during you know from April 2012 to November, I started gaining weight. Like. I, I, I gained a lot of weight, and and the lump it grew, 
and it was a left of the nipple. And, what, and you, you know, you do research on the internet. When they tell you don't do it, I did it. Dr. And Google said, is the worst friend ever. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's all it's got to be behind the nipple, discharging, then you got breast cancer and symptoms. Well, mine wasn't. Mine was left of the nipple, and, and it hurt like hell. So it didn't disappear either. So it just, I was just gaining weight in different areas of my body. I was like, what's going on? So in November, the little voice in my head said, hey, go back to see that doctor again. And uh, he did, and he looked at me. Oh, we got to get get that lump out of you. I'm like, all right. So he did the lump and looked to me, and uh, he said, you need to wait a week for the results and all this stuff. And, and I did. And that's It's always a said, week. Hey, Why is it always guys. a week? It's always the wor- like the it's worst always, week of your life, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like because you don't sleep. It's like, oh. This, this, this is where you don't sleep. You know, you do go on the internet and you're freaking out. You know, you don't know what to do. And that's when you get that, that call, you know, you need to come into the office. And I'm, you know, and then I'm sitting in the exam room and, and the doctor comes in, the nurse comes in. He said, you got stage one. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, stage one what? Right. Breast cancer. I'm like, and then you don't hear anything. After. I don't know what happened. I just remember I was in a fog. I remember getting up and, and walking over to the elevators. I mean, he was still talking. I, I just didn't hear a word he was saying. Well, everyone, that's and called was, the Charlie Brown teacher moment. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's like, well, I'm like, oh, I, uh, I go up to the elevator. And I called my friend, my friend Jamie up in Columbus. And he says, uh, so what's the results? And I'm like, you know those pink sneakers you're going to buy me? <laughs> laces? He goes, yeah, go buy them. He was like, are you serious? I'm like, uh, yeah. So, so um, let's talk about that stigma then. You were the only man in that clinic. You were misdiagnosed. You didn't get taken oh, seriously. You knew your body. You had to f- kind of force your way back into the system to be taken seriously. How did that make you feel? I felt in- really intimidated. You know, I felt I, I felt alone. Because, you know, it's a wellness center for women. I just felt like I, like I was, like I said, like an afterthought. I'm like, ah, you know. Like nothing, I, I felt I just felt really alone at that time, and I, I didn't have anything, no one to really turn to. And there's no support groups. There's, there's not no one, and uh, I just I just couldn't believe it. But I said to myself, I'd have to, you know, try John and and uh, you know, force my way through this, and and I, and I had to do it. But uh, it's 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 a very lonely feeling because you are like the I was like the, the only guy, and right. I just, you just felt, I just feel really alone in the world. Well, and you had a double mastectomy. That's typically yeah. like women get double mastectomies. Guys don't get that, but you had that procedure. And yeah, yeah let's, let's discuss that. That's, that's notable. Well, yeah. Well, you know, most guys get only one, you know, one side done. And I'm thinking like, you know, I don't want to be back here in five years and go through this, you know, crap again. I'm like, let's, let's, let's do both sides. And he said, you know, my oncologist said, you know, there's a 20% chance it might come back on the, you know, on the, on the other side. I'm like, no, let's just do it. And he goes, all right. So uh, did the double mastectomy, and um, and then afterwards, you gotta wait, you gotta wait again a week for the results and right. figure out what kind of, you know, whatever. And I'm like, great. And then he says, okay, you gotta do four rounds of chemo. I'm like, okay, I, I, I can handle four rounds once every three weeks. And I say, tell you what, whew, people who do chemo for like 20 weeks or chemo, and God bless them because I throw four rounds, 
after the third round, I was like, I, I can't do this. This is this is ridiculous. It's right. killing me. Mm-hmm. But you know, I did it and, and um, went through it, and and you know, you lost lose my hair and you know lost body hair and some of my eyebrows, and my eyelashes. Thank God. But other than that, you know, it's just uh, the chemo is like the worst mm-hmm. worst time of my life. Yeah. Yep, we've been there. We understand. I was there too. I mean, I had brain cancer, but that was, you know, I, I, I actually, I didn't lose my eyebrows, um, at all, or my eyelashes either. But I was, I looked like Mister Clean. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I had a perfect bald head. Yeah, I was just like, wow, this is great. You know, it, 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 the, the bad part was like in the winter times, so my head froze. So <laughs> I had friends send me crazy hats. My sister sent me this crazy hat with spikes on it, and right. I wore that wherever I went. You know, I just made. You know, as long as I can get through this, the only way I'm going to get through it, I know, is use my humor. And and I, I laugh at myself. And I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. And, and use my positivity and, and my humor to get, to get through it. And, and it did. And, you know, that, that helped a lot. So let's talk about how you're trying to make it better for the next you, which is really what this is all about. You don't want someone to be as isolated and as stigmatized and as alone as you were. And that right. is the young adult cancer mission that is our what is our, our movement is all about and and to the extent that you're part of our community now and you know i don't care that you are this and you don't care that i have that but you're here and we're it's the club no one wants to belong to but notwithstanding that how can you possibly enter this market what is there where do you even slide yourself in to this massive breast cancer industry to say guys get it too yeah it's it, it, it's hard um it's it's really hard. Like all the events, like nowadays, it's all pink, you know. And, and and you know, I go to those events, and I do feel isolated there. And and they know I'm there. That I'm a male breast cancer survivor, but I'm lumped, lumped into this big group, breast cancer women. You know, I'm the only guy there. Right. You know, and 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 I was like, wow, I wonder what other guys are feeling. So what I did was I joined this program called Friends for Life Network, and I help other men out there in, in the country. They, they need to talk to other men that's going through this breast, the breast cancer journey because they feel alone, they're depressed because they don't have anyone. But now they, they do because I'm talking to like maybe four or five men throughout the country and, you know, and I cheer them up. I tell them, you know, you know it, it's going to be okay. It's, it's, you know, it's going to be good. Um, you're going to get better and, and keep, keep you know, be positive and have family and friends support you. And I do offer, like, if you don't have anyone – I'll make arrangements. I'll get in the car. I'll fly out to you, and I'll and I'll go through the chemo treatments uh, with you and, and be there for you. You know, what, whatever you need. You want a shirt? You want a gift bag? What can I do to help? I just want to make sure those men are, are do not feel alone. Right. I mean, this really goes down to the fundamentals of you deserve to know you're not alone, and you deserve to know that there's someone like you who gets it, like truly gets yeah. it. Not not just I get it that you were young and this sucked, and yes, it just sucks. But I don't know what breast cancer is like in a in a guy, and you you need that. So can you tell us more about the the Friend for Life Network? How did you find it? Who runs it? Are you working with them? Um, it was a Friend for Life Network out of Louisville. They uh, found me on on Twitter, on my Twitter page, uh, Protect the Packs, and they reached out to me and said, "Would you like to be a volunteer to help other men out there who's going through this journey?" And you'll be the only volunteer, a uh, uh, peer na- navigator, they call it that has breast cancer, a male, and you probably get, you probably used a lot. I'm like, that's fine. 
send send my information information out to the Angels Network, I think. There's like a bunch of networks throughout the, throughout the country. I'm like, give my name to every single one of those networks, and they say if they have a guy who's going through it, they can call me anywhere, anytime. I'm on, uh, you know, it could be three o'clock in the morning. Someone, you know, being down now, I'll get on the call with them. You know, that's that's what I'm there for. It sounds fascinating. And yes, there are lots and lots of, of angel mentoring, peer matching uh, organizations out there, and they do great work. I'm part of one called Immerman Angels out of Chicago, and you know you may know this, but we we just launched an app. It's very early stage now, but its goal is called Instapeer. Its goal is to match you with someone just like you, so you can chat with them on mobile messaging anonymously, and then if you get to know them, you can discover each other out of the app. Um, so yeah, I mean we're gonna hit up your 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 buddies at Friends for Life because this is another opportunity for you. You don't know where the the other male breast cancer survivors are in the world, but if they're using our app, you'll know where they are because the app will tell you about them. You know, and they'll they'll, they'll all be in the app. And they'll be involved with that. Right. That's so, when, and this is really this entitlement issue. So, I, so you've clearly got an uphill climb ahead of you that I, I I don't envy, but I say that with love about bringing male breast cancer awareness to to sort of a larger narrative here. What are you? What's your mission with Protect the Packs, and and what are your yeah, challenges right, right now? Sure. Beyond the obvious, you know, there, there's a lot of you know foundations that spread awareness, and I want to take it to the next level. So my goal for the foundation is to raise funding for medical research and clinical studies for men, and provide gift bags to recently diagnosed men out there, and educate and and hopefully get enough money in the years to come and provide uh, uh, programs. Uh, to those men and their families, because you know, if men get the, the male the breast cancer and they're like the breadwinner in the family, they're, they're down and out. And if they need financial assistance, I want to be able to provide that for them. I want to help them. If they, you know, insurance battles, let me be the voice for 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 them. I'll go to D.C. and fight for their rights. I'll go to FDA. I want to be that for the men and the families out there. And that's, you know, that's that's my goals. Steve, where are you based out of? I'm in northern Kentucky. It's called Taylor Mill, Kentucky. I'm, like, right outside of Cincinnati. You know, I was at that airport once, and I never realized you actually land in Kentucky to go to Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people. When I, when I fly on the airplane, and people, you know, it's like, they're like, I think we're going to the wrong airport. I'm like, no, 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 no. Cincinnati airport in northern Kentucky. Don't worry. It's like a twofer. It's I got weird. to put push pins in two states for one trip. It's great. Yeah, I think Skyline Chili won me over. I'm 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 either oh. always going back or never going back. So, oh, Skyline Chili is great. I, yeah. um, there's one near me. I I go there once or uh, a couple times a week. To tell you the truth. So where were you, where were you treated? Was this all at the same clinic? Um, it was at the Tri Health Bethesda North Hospital up in Cincinnati, like 30 minutes from me. And then I moved um, moved the my doctor, so I'm going to St. Elizabeth Hospitals uh, here in Northern Kentucky. So, uh, you know, so it was a drive, but um, I recovered at my my family's residence up in Loveland, Ohio. You know, for uh, they took good care of me and a couple of friends down here as well. So also, you know, I had good friends that went with me. You know, the funny thing is, I went to the chemo in the you know in the fusion center. You know, they pump you uh, with nausea meds. So I made sure I ate, I ate Skyline chili, <laughs> I had BW3 wings, 
I was like, you know, this is going to be my last meal. I'm going to enjoy it. I know yes. the next seven days, I am sick as a dog. Yep. So I enjoyed it. I had, I had a good time. I mean, then after that, I was miserable for like two, like a week. But your prognosis now, two years later? Two years later, I am great. I go twice a year, uh, and um, I'm, I feel great. I feel like, uh, you know, you know, you think back and, and say, man, I really went through cancer. I just don't feel it. Right. You know, I, you know, it's just I got those scars in my chest, no nipples, which I'm going to get nipple tattoos with happy faces uh, on them. Good. So people stare me at the pool, I'll be staring back at you. That's it. You are so your own awareness billboard. Excuse me? You are your own awareness billboard. Oh, that's right. I'm going to walk <laughs> around just like that. They you put a protect effects tattoo on my arm. <laughs> Well, I think we can help. I, I, we can talk after the show and, and reconnect this okay. week or next week. I, I'm, I'm excited about this because it is, I would say, the outlierist, I mean that word, group of the young adult cancer world, the young men with breast cancer, um, mm-hmm. and, and I want to help. So we, we can talk offline, but congratulations on all okay. you've accomplished. Thank and you. uh, Steve Delgado, a two-year survivor of male breast cancer, director and founder of Protect the Pecs, the Male Breast Cancer Awareness Foundation. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Okay, Kenny, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be up your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Uh, Two to report, Phoenix, Arizona, and Arvada, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about hosting meetup in your own community, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. Cancer's lonely. We got a cure for that. Yes, we are talking about Instapeer, our free mobile app that brings instant anonymous one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by young adult cancer. Now available for download in the App Store, iOS, and Google Play. Just search for Instapeer and search and Instapeer yourself away. And search for Instapeer. <laughs> All right, we launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. It's always a good time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. Visit stupidcancerstore.org anytime and check out our new stuff for summer. We got a skateboard. We got Flip the Cancer Bird. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And, and that is your stupid cancer, cancer news. During this segment, we're going to be speaking with Billy Paymaster, the Chief Operating Officer and Director of Marketing Communications. For Hope for Young Adults with Cancer, an organization that is about making the lives of young adults aged 18 to 40 living with cancer a little bit easier. Joining Billy will be Katie Lundy, 25-year-old pediatric cancer survivor who is not afraid to look back and look at cancer in the face and tell him she'll beat the crap out of it. She's currently in her 15th chemotherapy treatment and the winner of this year's 2015 Stupid Cancer Get Busy Living Award. Please welcome to the show Katie Lundy and Billy Paymaster. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. So uh, I am 
thrilled to have you guys on the show. Of course, I know who you are, but our listenership may not. So I would love to just start with Katie. Your story is just so extraordinary, resonates so much with me. Uh, congratulations again on winning the 2015 Stupid Cancer Get Busy Living Award. It's a, a really big deal. But, uh, you know, just just start. You were diagnosed at the age of 11. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, so um, actually on my 11th birthday, I failed my eye exam at my grade school that they do routinely and um, kind of was just one of those, oh, well, you know, you're probably excited for your birthday or whatever, come back. So I went back a week later and it was the same. And um, so they sent me over to a hospital in St. Louis and they started doing eye tests for about um, seven hours on Friday, October 13th. And they came up with what three things they thought it might be and that Monday, I had an MRI to determine there was a mass, and that Friday, I had brain surgery to try and remove it. But um, the surgery was unsuccessful because it's inoperable, and so two weeks later, I began what was my first chemotherapy and had my portacast put in. And so the battle and the journey's been long, um, almost 15 years this fall, and since being diagnosed, I have uh, relapsed quite a few times, and I'm currently on my 15th chemotherapy. So what has this been like for you? I mean, we we talk about long-term pediatrics, and we joke that, you know, bald kids and whatnot, you know, because I was one. So, and Billy apparently is one right now, a bald kid. So, um, but what has this journey been like for you? Because it, it doesn't end, and it I think it helps drive home a new message to the world that cancer isn't just something that happens and goes away. It's It's a lifetime commitment in some cases to just managing your best way to get by and succeed and thrive as you've clearly done. What, what is that to you and how does that resonate to the people you speak to about your story? I mean, I think my story is a little different because I've literally me, been sick my entire, almost well, over half my life, I should say. I was a kid. I was sick. I was a preteen. I was a teenager. I was um, in high school, college, and now I've been an adult. And so I've experienced all those big changes with cancer, like, my evil friend sitting on my shoulder type of thing. Right. And um, it's one of those things that I think when I was first diagnosed, I was young and I didn't understand. And then I understood more. And over time, you know, for for a while I pitied and felt bad for myself. And then over time, the more it relapses, the more I'm like, I'm just done. Like, I'm sick of it controlling me. I'm going to graduate high school in four years. And even if I have to miss days, I'm going to graduate college in four years, get a job and try and be as normal or not let it have control as possible. And I think over time with losing so many friends and, you know, family members and stuff, and it's one of those things that you just kind of get fed up. And I think that pushed my positive attitude and me just to get it, get through it and continue on. I don't know what the future holds, but I know I can get through it. And so that's what I've kind of come to do. And that, that's exactly the point, which is you can live with cancer and still be awesome. And it doesn't matter about how long you live. It's about how you live. And that can be applied to anybody without disease to begin with. So, mm -hmm. um, again, we're going to get back to your story in a minute because it's, it's just so extraordinary. But I want to hop over to Billy. Uh, Billy, uh, we've known Billy and his wife, Kara, for many, many years now. They run a great charity called Hope for Young Adults with Cancer out of St. Louis. Apparently, this is not your full-time job. And I didn't realize you actually had a job plus doing this. So let's talk about your life, Billy. And uh, what got you into the charity world? Uh, sure. So, yeah, my, my full-time job is I, I work for a media agency. 
Um, that's based out of New York, that we have an office in St. Louis. And my wife, Kara, started Hope Freedom Dust with Cancer around four years ago. She just wanted to basically start a charity to, to help others, to do some good. Um, neither of us are survivors, but her best friend in junior high had passed away from cancer, and one of her grandmas has passed away from breast cancer. So she went out and she wanted to, you know, just make a just make a difference. And she brought me in to to help with the marketing uh, aspect of things, since that's what I that's what I work in. And and it it was just going to be, you know, basically always said we were just going to do a little bit of good. And uh, it, it grew so fast, so quickly for us because really we we didn't I think we underestimated the need for young adults with cancer that needed financial support and just how obviously we always talk about how underserved overlooked they are so it, it just it just continued to grow within the first couple of years that we started and we've just been able to to go with the flow even though we've had full-time jobs um me and Karen and obviously our, our board were we're an all-volunteer organization so um, we just we just keep going with it and, and just keep trying to try to make a positive. So I guess the question I have then is what specifically attracted you to young adults? Four years ago, that was not really a thing. Cancer has always been bald kids and old people. Where did you get this idea first that we can tackle an emerging market? I hate to call it an emerging market, but a, a thriving new community that really had no attention. How did you get that attention? Where did that come from? Right. All the credit goes to Kara on that. You know, when Kara started the organization was and was doing her research, she she went out there and she wanted to to find maybe an area that was that was being overlooked. Um, and I, I think that when she thought about it, she thought about you know young young people our own age. And I, I think we that's one of the reasons why we focus on that is is we talk about there's there's young adults who, who are going through their lives every day trying to, to live it as according to plan and they might not realize that there are young adults out there that they can't live their life the way they want to because they've been diagnosed with cancer. Right. Whether it was at a young adult age or whether if it was at a childhood age and, and they're still dealing with the ramifications. Um so all the credit goes to Kara to of finding finding that that spot for us to fall into and, and I don't know, I think she probably even under estimated it as well. You know, I, I think she saw a need there, but I, I definitely know that we, neither of us, knew that it, it was going to turn into this. So I think it was a little bit of research on her part and, and probably a little bit of luck. And I say luck because, I mean, we're lucky to, to work in the young adult cancer space. We've, we meet so many great young adults. We've, we meet so many other great other organizations. So it, it couldn't have turned out any better for us as far as directing um, the funds that we raise to where they go. And that that's the other question before we get back to, to Katie, is in deciding, and kudos to Kara for doing this, in deciding that we are going to take on young adult cancer, how did you figure out that you wanted to, you know, be a, a almost a, a foundation model where you give money away versus other specific things, or, or has it evolved since then? I, it started out, I think, you know, when, when looking at, at what was out there and financial support, it seemed to be kind of few and far between. And, and we thought about, you know, the situations that young adults are put in um, when they're diagnosed with cancer and, and obviously with the treatment schedules, 
their inability to work in most cases. Um, you know, we decided that we could take the money that we raised and, and obviously we could help, you know, young adults with cancer stay on their feet, get back on their feet, um, keep going. And we also wanted to make it so that we obviously wanted to help young adults that are currently in treatment, which we do up to five years post-treatment. And we wanted to put, we, wanted, we didn't want to put too many restrictions on, on it as well. We didn't want it to just go to medical bills. Obviously, we know medical bills pile up very quickly and, can be, and become overwhelming, but we also know that the everyday living expenses as well that maybe you're not able to pay for when you're going through treatment and unable to work is very important as well. So, you know, we, ju we just kind of shaped it from there. And you know, when we originally started, it was mostly going to be just kind of a local organization. But, it, you know, the, the outreach and, and the need became nationwide so quickly. We, we just went with the flow and, and, you know, we just try to help as many young adults with cancer as we can. Well done. So let's get back to Katie then, because, again, it's another conversation here. If your mission is young adults 18 to 40, it raises the conversation that you can be 18 to 40 but have had cancer as a kid. And it's that there's not two communities of young adults who people who had it as young adults and young children, long-term pediatric survivors who've gone through it, but you are bringing us all under one umbrella. So uh, let me turn it back to Katie for a second because, you know, you were diagnosed at 11, and 25 now, which is amazing. You are a graduate of the pediatric cancer system with all its pros and cons. Can you talk to us about what it's been like to navigate into adulthood or young adulthood from being dependent? Yeah, I mean, when I was first diagnosed, one, I think for any cancer, newly diagnosed patient, if you would, it's kind of a whirlwind where you're not really sure what day it is and you, if you're coming or going. And um, over time, and you kind of sit and think about things. And I think um, one thing that, you know, going throughout all these years, it just, it never gets easier. And I think people think it does sometimes. Um, but I guess really one thing um, that kind of I've learned is that if you just keep pushing yourself, um, going from being a kid to a preteen to a teen and all of that through the phases, it's, it never gets easier because I feel like as I got older, more people were judging you because, you know, that's how high school is and then college and there are plenty of amazing people that are there to help you, but there are also people that um, don't know you that try to bring you down. And so just trying to keep the attitude and um, maybe being naive, like when I was younger, helped as well that I could just get through it no matter what people said or did. Um, but it, it can be a struggle because you're diagnosed so young and then you're supposed to, some people think you're supposed to get over it and move on to being an adult, but continuing to be sick, it continues to pop up and affect my life. And so I remember what I went through, but I also see the future. And that's kind of how I think the transition from being a kid older, I understood what it's doing to me and, and kind of accepted it and try to move on and live my life. So what does it mean to you to be nominated for the Get Busy Living Award? Um, to be nominated was amazing. <laughs> my, um, a couple of my family members, my mom and I believe my dad and then two friends or so nominated me. And, um, so to be nominated, I was pretty excited. That was amazing. And then just to get the award, <laughs> that was the best, one of the best things that's ever happened to me with my whole cancer experience. It was, um, thinking you know, I didn't look at the picture still, uh, gets me choked up sometimes because it, it was the most amazing feeling.
And uh, I, re- I was there on stage watching them read off the second runner-up and the first runner-up. And as soon as they started reading the – you knew right away because your your mm-hmm. bio is it's pretty obvious, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah. I joked with someone that I heard her start saying it and then um, – like I was like, that's my story, and then all of a sudden I was like, well, maybe it's someone else's. I'm like, well, that's probably not possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of freak out for a second. Yeah. So you know, it's it's one of those with great power comes great responsibility. You are the winner of the 2015 Get Busy Living Award, which I will mention has been sponsored by and and uh, partnered with uh, Hope for Young Adults with Cancer, which is why they're on the show, among many other reasons. So, so thank you guys for your support for making that work. Um, it's almost like you're you're wearing a, a bit of a crown as you are the embodiment of our mission and you are a young adult who gets busy living. What is the worst part of your day? The worst part of my day? Um, it's probably comments people make. People judge that because I might not be bald and not sick or because I'm 25 that doesn't happen to you. Um, that one transition from a children's hospital to an adult is they look at you funny. And so I think the toughest thing is um, kind of not letting others' opinions and looks and comments affect my positive attitude on beating this tumor. Is this just people being immature and, and, and stupid, or is it like just people are haters and you got to deal with it in general? Um, I think it's just people that are naive, really. I don't think it's anything personal, some of them. Um, I think some people just don't realize. Um, but I think some, you know, might be having their own bad day and um, they don't get it. I and mean, they've never been through what I've been through or what other cancer patients are going through. So I think sometimes the assumption is, like you said, young kids that are bald or older people going through cancer, not the middle age that, you know, I'm in my 20s and I'm sitting here getting chemo with you. <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, Billy, how many young adults would you say that your organization has helped impact for the last couple of years since you started? We uh, we originally started out, we had kind of a, a floating scale of, of the money that we, we gave out. Um, we've since pared it down to um, $1,000 per young adult. So in the four years that we've been in existence, we've given out a little bit over $100,000. Wow. Um, so I would say we probably helped around between 60 and 75 young adults with cancer. So what, what's the criteria to apply for money through Hope for Young Adults with Cancer? And, and then um, how do you judge? Because I'm just as a sidebar, I've been on committees and boards of other charities that give sort of these micro-grants away to young adults with cancer. And it's heartbreaking to the people yeah. you can't give money to. How, how has that panned out for you? It can be tough at times. Um, you know, the, the, the criteria starts 18 to 40, currently in treatment, up to five years post-treatment. And then the next, the next criteria is based on need. Um, we, have a, we have a short essay that, that young adults fill out, um, as well as, you know, they send us, submit us some financial paperwork as well. And it, it's based on need. We've been lucky enough so far. We do our grant cycles twice a year. We do it once in, in June and once in December. We've had to turn away very few people. Um, as we continue to grow and as the word gets out about our organization, obviously it it puts more pressure on us to continue to raise more money to be able to help everyone that that comes to us for, for assistance. But it's based on it's based on need. So um, between the, the financial need and, and their story, 
um, you, you then have to you have to look at everyone and 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 if there is in fact a decision that has to be made on, on who receives it and who doesn't. I mean, it is heartbreaking. It's tough because you don't ever want to pit individuals against each other, and, and obviously everyone's situation is not great, or they wouldn't be applying for the assistance in the first place. So, it, it definitely giving out financial aid, you know, it's, it's not easy, um, and, and it could be tough. You just have to tell yourself that, you know, every young adult that you are helping, you're making a difference in their lives. And, and that's what that's what keeps you going. And uh, do you keep in touch with the young adults whom you fund? And are they brought on to be ambassadors to help you guys raise more awareness for what you do? We do. We keep in touch with them. And we've actually just rolled out our, our young adult program where we've had some um, young adults who have provided, we've provided assistance for who, who want to give back. And we actually have had um, young adults actually throw events for us and, and raise us money in return after we've helped them, which is just extraordinary. Um, they obviously, they want to give back and, and, and we, we appreciate that. We, we love for, you know, our grant recipients to give back, but it, it's not something that we expect. Um, you know, we, we do what we do to help. Um, obviously every help that we can, all the help we can get back in return is wonderful, but you know, we're we're here just to just to make the the little difference that we can in providing that financial assistance to the young adults that we that we do serve. Right. So, Katie, uh, was CancerCon the first event you've gone to with other young adults? Yeah, it was. So you really just jumped right in the deep end. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on um, like someone shared something about it on Facebook. Um, I guess back in November, and I told my mom like I gotta go because when I was first diagnosed um i was actually considered old for the type of tumor i had so everybody else was like two three or four and so i never really had anyone my age and then i went through a phase of like i didn't want to talk about it it was like a curse word type of thing and then i got more open about it and so i wanted to go and they kept saying it was going to change your life and change your life and after the first night it changed my life and then from then on it just the people and the um support and just the knowing you're not alone and you the things you feel and have happened to you, you aren't crazy because that happens to other people too. Right. Um, this, it's just amazing, the people and the support. So from the time of 11, it's been a very long time since you were 11, have 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 you met other survivors going through what you've gone through specifically or even, you know, I mean, they have teen groups in the cancer centers and or has it just really been you felt like you weren't even an island this whole time and until now? Um. It's been tough because when, like, the type of tumor I have is a pediatric because they don't normally see it with any people over, like, 18. And so then, um, you know, I'm one of those rare cases where it just continues to come back and grow and you do more chemotherapy that most of the people had it and they were done or they were really little and they don't remember. And no one I've met yet has been through as much as I have. Um, so it's kind of one of those, you know, those things as I got older, there's already older than most of them. Most of them don't remember what they went through or that right. kind of thing. And as I, yes. so as I continued to get older, love, you know, became far and few in between that were still going through the same thing I have gone through. So what are your acute issues as of today? Um, so from the tumor itself, it causes visual impairment. Um, so I have um, limited peripheral vision on my right side. That's, um, one main thing from the tumor, 
like the chemotherapies and all that, the chemotherapy on now, it's pretty tolerable, but, you know, nauseousness. Um, my hair is falling out some. That's one of the things. And fatigue, so really tired, especially after a day's work. <laughs> um, but most of the chemos, I get neuropathy sometimes, too. So that's another side effect. Those are some of the main things I continue to see overall the chemos. So where is there a prognosis or is it really just you're you're living day to day and you're making the most of it? I mean, is this is fairly unprecedented, right? There's there's been no other patients like with this with your history. Yeah, as far as I mean, I'm aware most of like I said, most of the people my with the type of tumor I have, um, it doesn't continue to come back. Maybe once or twice, but not continuous. So they just keep putting me on medicine. But um, the prognosis right now is the you know I'm finishing this clinical trial for the next seven months and then go from there on if we continue that on from there or we want to stop and just kind of it's a waiting game see if the vision gets worse and the tumor grows and then okay now we have to look for another chemo if it does but so far with this medicine we've had good results and so we're pretty positive that it's gonna finally kill it (laughs) and where are you being treated right now um and Chicago, Illinois, at Children's Lorry Hospital. Oh, you're Lorry. We love those guys. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. Good, good, good. Well, it sounds like you're in good hands. And I, uh, the, the the staff there working, and they understand that you're not 8 and not 80? Mm-hmm. They do. My doctor is awesome. He helped me with some clinical trials when I was in high school and has always been a doctor, but as well a friend and understands the when I was losing my hair and bald in college and all those things, that it wasn't just me being, you know, silly. It was, I'm not supposed to be bald in my freshman year of college type right. of thing and <laughs> go through all that. And he gets that I'm an adult now and that I want to be independent and live my life. So they're amazing. They don't treat me like one of the five-year-olds and they don't treat me like I'm not supposed to be there. They treat me like I'm one of their own. So it's an amazing hospital. Right. Well done. Well done. Let me toss it to Billy, and then I'll, I want to read your um, your. You have something here. What get busy living means to me. I think it's what helped you win the award this year. I want to read that to our our listenership. But back to Billy. So Billy, what's been? I mean, I can answer this question because I know the answer. But the the, the hardest part of doing what you do is that there's there's no short supply of need. Is what I'm going to yeah. guess you probably say. Yeah, that's that's the the, the biggest problem, and I think. You know, it's it sometimes it's hard to sit back and, and look at what you've done as an organization because the need is constant. Um, you obviously think about all the young adults that you've helped and you're thankful for that, but then you also think about all the young adults that are still out there that need help. Um, so it's when one grant cycle closes for us, we literally hit the ground running fundraising for the next one because we know that the need's going to be there and that, you know, we could proceed even more applications that we did last time around so it, it's it's constant movement and it, it's, it's it, it never stops yeah and it's a blessing and a curse that you're helping so many but the need is so great and exponential yeah it is like you know it you when, when we close a grant you'll you'll have that gratification of being able to to help you know whether it's it's 30 to 40 young adults and then you then step back for a second and you're like oh man we we gotta get we gotta hit the ground running again and start raising more money and, and right. get ready for for six months from now. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I, I'm a huge fan of you guys. We've seen you come from nothing to become rock stars in our in our community. So I can't thank you enough for doing what you guys do. You fit right in. You belong. And, and I, I support everything that you're about. So before we wrap up, I, I really do want to read Katie's uh, response to her Get Busy Living application. Uh, the question was, what does Get Busy Living mean to me? And I'll just read her answer. Quote, Get busy living isn't just a phrase to me, but more a way of life. It means living and pushing through all of the tough times. I've been through I've been through even though it was I'm sorry, I'm reading this wrong. <laughs> There's no paragraph, sorry. It means living and pushing through all of the tough times I've been through, even though it was going to be tough. It means not letting cancer control me anymore and giving me more control of this disease. Get busy living means to me trying to do the things I was told I could not do and living my life and not the life cancer tries to control. Cancer tries to define me, but I refuse to let it. I am stupid cancer. That is uh, Katie Lundy. Uh, you guys, this is an amazing show. I can't thank you enough again for, for coming on and sharing your stories. Um, Billy Paymaster, COO, Director of Marketing and Communications at Hope for Young Adults with Cancer Online at Hope, the number four, yawc.org. And Katie Lundy is a, I'm going to do the math wrong here, 14-year a pediatric cancer survivor of optic glioma, uh, winner of the 2015 Stupid Cancer Get Busy Living Award. Thank you guys so much for making this a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, take care. Wow. Yeah. Powerful. They do good stuff. We love the paymasters. They're in, and uh, they just opened up a Denver office, didn't they? Yes, they now have a Denver, Denver contingent. Yes, and they're based in St. Louis. Yes. A great city. They're pretty awesome. Yep. All right, Kenny, that's our show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 347th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guests, Steve Delgado, Billy Paymaster, and Katie Lundy. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. The largest charity comprehensively addressing young and love cancer online at stupidcancer.org. If you have not already, visit stupidcancershow.org and never miss an episode by signing up for our newsletter and subscribing to the free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Blog Talk Radio. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of myself, Kenny Kane, Mallory Rivera, and Sean Shapiro, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next broadcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Bye, folks. Bye, everybody.